0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Adi Zero Runners Roundtable Series. So this is the second of three Marathon Caesar Twitter talks to help you improve your running with insight from an elite AddyBest runners and coaches. I'll give a quick overview of the format for today's talk on how you can structure your marathon training for speed. So it'll be approximately 30 minutes of questions discussing ways you can implement speed into your marathon training blocks. Uh, then we'll conclude with approximately 10 minutes or so of audience questions And if you're listening along, please do tweet some questions to Adidas Running uh, and reply and pin the tweet to submit your questions. So as a way of introduction, I'm Marcus Brown, on Instagram known as at The Marathon Marcus, and I host the podcast called A Runner's Life. But before I jump into the conversation, Steph, please can you introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Absolutely. Um, My name is Stephanie Davis. I'm a team GB marathon runner and sponsored by Adidas. And I recently competed in the Olympic Games in Japan. I was up in Sapporo doing the marathon and I finished first GB women and 39th overall. It was a great experience.
0: It looked amazing to sort of see it. It probably didn't do my uh, marathon training any good because I was staying up quite late to watch it. But it's probably worse for you. in that humidity, Yeah, so. it,
1: it was pretty brutal out there. Although... Probably a good thing for you guys back home. And they moved it an hour earlier, just the night before, which was a bit of a shock for us at the time because we were just getting ready to go to bed. And you know it's like the night before, a big race, you, you don't often get as much sleep as you'd like to. So when we found out we are getting an hour less, it kind of threw us off a bit. But in hindsight, it was definitely a good thing because it was, yeah, the conditions were pretty brutal.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looked, I mean, well done to what you've done. I think it was amazing. And I said that the last time we spoke as well, I think it was on the podcast, The Runner's Life episode 89 and you just won the Great Britain uh, marathon trials and although it was this year it still feels like a lifetime ago. (laughs) Oh definitely (laughs) it was
1: only in March and yeah I think the Covid has made time feel a bit a bit weird and a bit skewed so yeah I do have to remind myself sometimes that it wasn't that long ago that I I ran in Kew Gardens and and ran a PB there.
0: It was an amazing run and I know you spoke a little bit about the Olympics but Are there any sort of special memories that sort of stick out in your mind of the time that you spent out there?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a roller coaster of emotions out there. I think with Covid, we were obviously in a a bubble and, and not able to explore Japan, which I would love to have done. But the best memory was crossing that finish line and then the next day getting to go to the closing ceremony. So it was just a really cool last few days and a great way to kind of celebrate a kind of mixture of emotions throughout the two weeks that we were there. It definitely
0: ended on a high. It did look quite amazing. And I think with sort of social media, it's so cool. You can sort of follow the people that you follow and see what they're doing on there. They're posting their stories. So it was really amazing to sort of follow along on your journey. But anyhow, we're not here to talk about the Olympics. We're here to talk about speed. So yes, <laughs> let's go back to the basics. So alongside being an elite athlete, you're also a coach. And I am just thinking if you were to take on a new client, for example, what criteria would you look at to kind of measure speed
1: so if it was yeah as you say like a a brand new client it's often good to kind of speak to them about their history and and pbs they've done in the past but what i would probably do is kind of get them to do a 5k effort as a good starting point to see where their fitness level is currently at rather than where it was previously at maybe with an an old pb and that can kind of help set the the pace expectations and the effort for speed sessions that as part of the marathon training I think one thing with the speed sessions with marathon training is they aren't um, flat out reps where you're absolutely gassed by the end of it. They're often, the sessions can still be quite long. So for example, you could be doing um, a 400 meter session and depending on where you're at with your training, it might range from 10 by 400 right up to kind of 20 or 30 for about 400 meters. And you obviously cannot go out and and gas yourself for 400 meters for 10 to 30 reps so it's about learning and it's a good practice of pace judgment but being being fast but also being consistent with the pace throughout those reps so often i find with with new runners coming along to do speed work it's about finding that balance and it can take a few sessions to to get in a rhythm because you might have a few where you think well i could have gone a bit faster or you might have a few where you just completely overcooked it at the beginning and then your pace kind of regressed um so yeah as i say it can take some practice but down the line you can then use these previous sessions to gauge your future sessions and that also helps kind of see where your your fitness is going as well so if you've started off with doing 10 by 400s of say 60 seconds rest you might then go down the line do 12 of those and see if you can hit the same pace for those reps so it is a mixture of yeah getting a good benchmark to to start your training block off so often a kind of 5k effort is is a good a good one to do and then from then it's kind of remembering what your splits were in previous sessions and kind of building on that pace um, and measuring your your fitness as you go.
0: So that makes sense in regards to kind of understanding and laying the foundation so you can build forward so let's kind of move on to training concepts and can you talk about the idea and the importance of trading zones so like for example threshold and above and below and all that entails
1: yeah so this is definitely something that i've learned more now that i'm coached and when i started working with my coach a few years ago previously i i used to just do kind of a few runs a week because I, I loved running and being outside and keeping fit but because i was only doing kind of two to four runs a week i did them all kind of at roundabout kind of a threshold effort so where it's kind of like quite comfortably hard, but you can kind of keep going. And I learned with my training that that's obviously not sustainable if you're doing seven runs a week or six runs a week. You need to have that that balance in your training. So it's it's for me, it's keeping the hard days hard and the the easy days easy, so that when you're recovering from a session, you're really yeah keeping your heart rate lower. You're almost kind of not focusing on pace. Um so then you can deliver on those those speed sessions or those tempo sessions or those long runs you've got so it is important that balance of training because we can't go at 100% all the time
0: that makes a lot of sense and it's really important when you say that because it's not just something that it affects uh, beginners it also impacts people that are more experienced in terms of not always keeping the easy days easy and running them too quickly can you talk yeah. about the importance of like why that's vital to running fast as well
1: definitely like I definitely used to find keeping my easy runs easy even if I was really tired I, I just felt like I was still pushing to hit some kind of arbitrary figure that I'd made up that I thought would be an easy pace and I, for me I actually stopped doing that by by wearing a heart rate monitor and everyone has different zones but I found for me if I if I keep my heart rate under 140 for my easy runs then I'm recovering better. So it's, it's a completely case just ignoring pace and focusing on that. And I found then the subsequent day when I was doing my, my tempo session or my speed session that I was, I was more recovered. You want to feel kind of refreshed on an easy run. You don't want to be feeling more tired than when you already started.
0: I think that's such an important point because it really does tell, especially when you know, when you're on sort of the marathon training block, when you're starting to things are starting to get a bit more serious, that you need to kind of definitely, you know, keep it definitely, easy, like you said before. And with that being said, can we sort of talk a little bit about the different types of sessions that are required to develop speed within a typical training block?
1: Yeah, so there there are different types of speed sessions that we can do. Typically, the most kind of common one is kind of the interval training. So that's where you might you might do it on a track. It doesn't always have to be done, need to be done on a track, and it might depend on the duration of the interval. So it's when you do certain amount of reps followed by static rest or walk recovery and I often think kind of a walk recovery is quite good because it keeps everything moving so you're not kind of getting cold or muscles are seizing up before you start the next rep. So that's, that's a session that kind of regularly features in, in my training plan. Fart leg training is another popular one where you kind of, you, you keep going, you don't stop but you have a mixture of effort throughout the, the run so you might range from kind of going a marathon pace effort to kind of 5k effort and it's working on that change of pace because and it's actually a really good session to do because especially in a marathon there might be a time where you think where you're getting tired and well there will be a time because it's a marathon where it gets tougher and you need to adjust that pace and if you practice that in training kind of getting faster and then slower and then picking up again then it's going to probably be more easy to replicate in the race itself and it also helps if you're actually if you're racing so if you're you're racing for a position then often sometimes races can be a bit tactical so if you've practiced again that change in pace then it's probably going to be more easy to replicate and then another one is the kind of hill training and uh, this is not typically something that i tend to do and um, when i'm training in my actual marathon block i'd say it's more something that we would incorporate In the early stages when we're maybe preparing for a marathon it's a good one to build strength so we necessarily don't do it alongside kind of the the marathon training itself but perhaps we would if we were training for a marathon that was was hilly or more undulating.
0: I think just going back to that point you just said there in terms about building speed and some people might have missed it as well it's like it's kind of building the strength before you get into the marathon block rather than trying to find speed which you haven't got whilst you're in the marathon block I think that's quite important
1: yeah because often trying to find speed in the marathon block is hard because you're often carrying tiredness in your legs and you're feeling heavy from from all the sessions that you're doing so again like it goes back to like what I was saying earlier on about speed and the marathon speed sessions tend to be more about being fast but also being consistent rather than like going flat
0: out yeah that makes sense and I've got a question for you in regards to tempo running I know it has lots of different sort of definitions and interpretations. What's your kind of interpretation of what a tempo run is and what it looks like?
1: Yeah, so tempo, I mean, it's funny because we we still call our Thursday sessions tempo sessions, but I don't think any of them actually are tempo sessions. It just seems to be like Thursday's tempo day. I typically would describe tempo as a pace that you can hold for an hour so it's maybe somewhere that kind of between 10k and half marathon pace. So it should, feel, it should feel hard, but if you feel comfortably hard that you you should be able to sustain it. It's it's quicker than marathon pace. We we don't tend to do like sessions at that specific tempo pace. Ours are all kind of usually more, my coach is usually quite specific in what pace he's looking for, whether it's 10k to marathon pace. And maybe sometimes it falls into that tempo pace, but... Typically, for me, when I, when I think a tempo session, I think it's going to be longer reps.
0: Okay. I think on that bombshell, I'm going to pause this, go to my Instagram page, and just re edit all my posts for the tempo I mentioned.
1: <laughs> it's just, I think, yeah, we never really run at tempo pace in any of our sessions, but we still call our sessions <laughs> tempo. So I think it's finding that, like, if you're doing some 2K reps, we might do them at, like, around about 10K pace. Again, it will depend on how many you're doing, because if, if you're doing three or four, then, then 10k pace is, is, is probably a quite a good aim. But if you're doing 10, then you might want to think about doing the more like half marathon pace. You've got to think about the volume. If you're doing yeah. more volume, the pace is going to slow. If you're doing less recovery, the pace is probably going to slow.
0: OK, that makes sense. So we've now got a little bit of an understanding of like different types of speed sessions that we can implement. Can you talk about how you integrate them into your current training?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our weeks tend to take the same kind of format. We do one speed session. Now, usually it's on the track, but actually when I was building for the trials in March in Kew Gardens with COVID and also the winter weather, the track I did have access to was always covered in ice. So I actually did most of my speed sessions on the road. So you definitely don't need to have a track to do your speed sessions. And this the speed sessions we do usually take place on a Tuesday, and they're anywhere kind of between 3K and 5K pace. So again, it depends on the, the length of the rep. If we're doing like 400s or 600s, they're probably that little bit quicker, around about 3K pace. If we're doing 1K reps, they might be closer to, to 5K pace. And then the second session that we do, and all these, when I say session, I mean these are the kind of the kind of threshold sessions where you're pushing it a bit and they're all we have all our easy runs in between those sessions so the second session is is our tempo, <laughs> which is basically where we do kind of longer reps and these can be from like 2k reps to 5k reps to a longer run maybe of what, marathon pace so that's the kind of two main sessions we'll have on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then Sunday is also a kind of a long run and that is also something I would regard as as a harder run as well regardless of what pace you're doing at if you're out there running for a long time then it's putting a lot of strain on your body so it's even if you're doing it maybe the same pace as you might do some of your easy runs it i would still classify it as one of your harder days
0: so does that look like about two to three sessions per week basically
1: yeah and often we'll make that long run into a bit of a session as well not every week because it's it can be quite demanding on the body but that that long run sometimes it's quite good to implement some marathon pace practice in it particularly maybe at the end of the long run to practice running marathon pace when you're that little bit more tired to see if you can hit your your goal pace so yeah it ranges kind of between two and three sessions a week and then as i say kind of the the easier runs around it and then i'll, I'll usually take a rest
0: day as well okay that makes sense and as athletes and as people, we're always sort of learning and developing. Can you sort of share any kind of key changes and developments within your training, say, from the Berlin Marathon up to the present day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Berlin was my first marathon. So everything, I remember at the time getting sessions and thinking they were absolutely monstrous. And then I compare them to to what I'm doing now. And I definitely see the progression in, in the volume and in the intensity and I think that's an important one to share because you can't just throw yourself in right into the deep end because that's where you're more likely to, to pick up an injury and that's the last thing you want to do if, you, if you're training for a marathon. So it's about, yeah, Berlin, that was my first marathon and my first time with a coach, my first time with proper structured training. So the, yeah, the volume and the intensity was, was that little bit lower and the paces maybe weren't always so specific in the training. It was kind of a bit of a test to see where I was at. So often it was a case of like right, me thinking like I've got four by two k. Up, I need to measure my effort and what do I think I can do? And then each session I kind of I spoke to my coach and we would we would discuss the pacing and I, I would learn. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how it it changed and I've, I've got to know myself more as a runner. So then I know to kind of what to expect from each session and and where I think I can I can push myself. So yeah, like that's that's the kind of main things that have changed is the is the volume intensities of the Tuesday and Thursday sessions, So that's speed and tempo. And then the long runs were typically the same. This time round, more recently we've had more marathon pace as part of our long runs. I didn't really do that in part of the Berlin build.
0: Okay. That makes sense. I don't know if you do this as well, but do you notice when you speak to runners? Sometimes they always put like "just" or "only" before the mileage, it's like "only twenty miles," "just twenty miles." <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a bad that to say that. I to know,
1: <laughs> and I'm not even a mileage obsessed athlete, and I still do it.
0: <laughs> uh, I think anyone who's not a runner, they think you just sound completely ridiculous. But, <laughs> but this is what you do as a runner. I mean, you see a bus and you think I could run there, or you think of a distance and you think I could run there. <laughs> so, yeah. Of those things so we've spoken a little bit about your training and kind of up to now and um, can you talk about a little bit the differences in sort of shoe choices that you use say for like a marathon uh, race compared to an interval session
1: yeah so I I find like footwear is such a personal thing and i definitely had a lot of people ask what I would recommend that they wear for a race or they wear for a session and I really think you need to you definitely need to try a shoe out before you decide if it, if it is for you and especially before race day for me for my easier runs I like to wear something that's a bit more cushioned and it offers a bit of support so I tend to wear the Adidas solar glide I just find it a really kind of comfortable easy shoe to to run in and then for my speed sessions if I'm on the the track I like to wear something with a bit of a lower stack because I find on the bends it's just a bit more stability around the foot and the ankle so I quite like to wear the Adizero Pro that's it's quite a good shoe and quite responsive on the track and then for my longer reps I actually wear the the pro twos and that's a shoe that I also wear on race day so it's quite good to to be able to use that shoe in training for for some of my sessions to to feel confident in it and comfortable in it and practice using it before race day and then for my long runs I'll, I'll often wear that shoe as well
0: okay thank you for sharing that and I think that sort of gives people got a good indication. I, well, I really like the bit we talked about the stack height as well, because like you say, like, especially when you go around the corners, it does make a difference. Um, that's really useful to know.
1: Yeah, it definitely does make a difference. And I think, um, yeah, you need to, to be careful of that because it's just a higher stack. You just don't want to be tripping over or falling over your ankle and doing something silly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I know in previous interviews, and I've asked you this before, and other people have asked this as well, people always talk about your mileage comparison to other pro runners. And I know cross training is quite an important part of your training. Can you talk about how that works for you and then move on to kind of the, the debate about kind of quality versus quantity in terms of mileage or kilometers?
1: Yeah, so uh, yeah, you're right. I do a lot of cross training um, and the way it kind of fits into my my plan is where typically a runner may do a double mile each day so they might do a run in the morning and then run the evening i would always tend to do one run and then my other would be a, a cross training session and that can either be done on the elliptical or the bike previously when i was training for like berlin and london 2019 and valencia in 2019 i actually used the elliptical more but then when covid hit and the gyms were closed I had a turbo trainer at home so kind of more recently I've kind of moved over to the bike so yeah and again these are just I only use them for recovery so it's not um a session where I'm kind of getting my heart rate up it's just a way of flushing out the legs without having that that pounding of the pavements or yeah, the impact in you and I feel for me that really helps me recover better. So again, that I can put better quality into my harder session in, in the days to come. Everyone is completely different. For me, I just find it, yeah, it it helps me against injury and it just keeps me that that bit fresher, and you're still getting that cardiovascular benefit. You do need to probably spend a little bit more time cross-training than if you were going for a run just to get the benefits. But, yeah, I quite enjoy sitting on the turbo at home, watching something on Netflix or listening to a podcast and just zoning
0: out. I hear a runner's life podcast is quite a good one. To be honest. Yeah. I, I, I hear that in a great rhyme. I'm not quite sure we put that, in <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: It's one of my favourites. <laughs> not just saying that. <laughs> Thank
0: you. So let's talk about the applications of speed and training. So when should you look at putting races into your marathon programme just to test yourself out? And when should you consider, you know, what distance is, and when that should be?
1: Yeah, so there's a balance between, like, you want to get the races in to to see where your fitness is at, to get some race practice. But you also don't want to be tapering too much during a marathon block. So what we tend to do is we kind of put a 10k in maybe about eight weeks before, ten weeks before, and then a half marathon usually about four weeks before. Um, we'll taper for them so that we have fresh legs and we can really kind of give it our best shot. And then that can be used to kind of see where where you think your fitness is is at. And I think yeah, it's important to also get that kind of race practice as well because yeah, races can be can be nerve wracking so if you've done a few before, then it's it's good to to have already practiced them. But also, I think during the 10K in the earlier stages, where you're a bit fresher and you're not maybe carrying as much fatigue from marathon training you're more likely to kind of showcase that speed that you've got whereas as the, as the block closes in towards race day your mileage is probably more likely to be a bit higher your sessions are a bit longer so um that speed and that punchiness might not be quite as fresh
0: yeah that makes sense and as you touched upon it earlier you know it's been the pandemic year and you talked about sort of it being adaptable in terms of not being able to train on the track for example and one of the big things that people talk about, especially running, is that, you know, to run faster, you need to run with other people, which which, which is, you know, got some truth in it for sure. But obviously, with the pandemic restrictions, it's not always been possible in the early part of this year and last year. So can you talk about the pros and cons for doing speed sessions in running groups and also doing it solo?
1: Yeah, I was always, pre-COVID, one of these people that was like, I need to do my session with the group or with another person to, to get the best out of myself. But I think that is definitely helpful and you definitely do, there are benefits of getting the best out of yourself physically. But what I kind of then realised when I was doing the odd session on my own is I would kind of freak out about it a bit. When it was approaching or we knew that trials was going to be a kind of isolated event, I was thinking to myself, I could potentially be running on my own at some point. Marathon's a long way. And even in a mass race, you can be, even those people around you, you can still be running on your own. So I definitely benefited from the lockdown from Christmas to March and having to just get on with it by myself. I was fortunate enough that my partner would join me for some sessions. So I had that balance of having company for, for some of my sessions or for part of my session and then having to just get on with it on my own and i think that that made me a mentally stronger athlete going into the trials i wasn't thinking oh no what happens if i end up on my own here i'm not gonna be able to hit the pace i i was like no i can do this i've done it in training so it's no different doing it on race day so i think it is it's fun running with other people and it does push you and and help you get kind of physically fitter but i think having a few sessions or some sessions or one a week or whatever works for you don't be afraid of of doing them on your own because it will give you that kind of mental toughness.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, when you've got that time on your feet, you've got that time to think and really kind of, really get used to kind of being on your own and being in that zone of what it's going to feel like. So I think that's really important.
1: And you also massively learn like pace judgment. If you're just sitting in a group, then often you might be getting pulled along by people and you're you're just kind of there for the ride. Whereas if you're out there on your own, you're having to learn... How to pace things and and pace them properly, and that's so and so important for the marathon because you need to to pace the marathon well. Because if you you go out too fast and at the start, especially when you're feeling fresher, then you're more likely to to make mistakes or later on in the race.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. And we've spoken a little bit about some of the sessions and you know working with groups, working solo. But what things can the listeners do to kind of you know freshen training up because obviously each run has a purpose and sometimes it's not always easy to kind of be in that kind of mindset so how do you kind of keep things a little bit fresh
1: yeah definitely like I definitely don't go to every training session like oh I can do this I'm so motivated sometimes it is it is really hard and especially as winter approaches it's probably going to get a little bit tougher so I think one thing if you especially if you if you maybe don't train with other people is going to park run or finding a race nearby that you can you can put in as part of a session and that means you're kind of in that atmosphere you've got lots of other people around you to give you that extra boost but one thing I would say with that is you also then have to hold yourself accountable to whatever is in your session and not get carried away by the race so you've got to stick to your session plan which is also again as I was saying good practice for marathon day when the earlier stages where you do need to be strict with yourself and and not get carried away with pace so we we typically will do sessions where we'll we'll go to a park run and and do the 5k at a specific pace and then after the 5k we've still got more to do but it it does it does make you make it fun and and often for us it's like as well as a change of scenery from maybe training in in a different location from from where you usually train so that helps mix it up as well
0: yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that because you're not always going to be clicking your heels and whistling to start your session. No <laughs> way. <laughs> no. I wish. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. So uh yeah, the early nights, you know, the early mornings, it's 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 not always uh, easy, but it, it's it's what's required to win us. Yeah. Like like I said to you, like in when we spoke in the podcast before, like obviously it showed like the work you did to, to, to earn that result. So you know when it comes off, it's amazing, and you know that all that work you've done has been for for something.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like there's sessions that I'll go to sometimes, and maybe you you do lack that bit of motivation. But after it's always so worth it, and you're on such a high. And as you say, like that's that's what you need to do for a race day, and and that's the
0: ultimate goal. Agreed. And just I think moving to the next point before we get to the questions from the audience, I just want to talk about kind of managing setbacks because. Whilst, you know, we can think about speed and, you know, going faster and doing these sessions, we also have to manage the other side and, you know, try to navigate the space of not getting injured or reducing chances of getting injured. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you manage, like, any niggles or any tips to reduce injury during the uh, sort of speed sessions?
1: Yeah, definitely. So what I would advise is having kind of two strength sessions a week. The way I typically plan my strength sessions is we as i was saying earlier keeping the hard days hard and the easy days easy and and strength is definitely a harder session finding a specific strength plan they're they're quite individual depending on your strengths and weaknesses but if you're able to to have guidance or by a physio or an snc coach on what you should be working on then, then that is really helpful but the way I would place those those sessions in your schedule is by doing them the same day that kind of you do your speed session or your tempo session, um, but make sure you do it after. Otherwise, you're going to be carrying fatigue into those sessions. So what I typically do is Tuesday evening, I go to the track and then as soon as we finish track, we kind of cool down, refuel a bit and then we're straight up to the gym. So it does it does make it a long night. So it's 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 quite difficult, especially if, if you have a family or, or a busy job fitting all in. Even if you do something, it's it's kind of better than nothing. One thing that I also do to kind of combat or help cha- reduce the chance of injury is is a lot of stretching and foam rolling and and self massage. If you've got a massage gun, that's also great. Just keeping on top of that, I find like little and often is 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 better because stretching isn't always the most fun. But if you can do it for five ten minutes in front of the TV, it, it really does help. Setbacks and managing niggles like this is something that I think everyone needs to be. Prepared for not necessarily getting a niggle, but also just being a bit tired and thinking, oh, I need to change things around. Try and be flexible. It's not the end of the world if you have to shift things around. I don't think I've ever done a full marathon block where everything's gone like a hundred percent, and I've not had to change something or take an unplanned rest day. It is. It's honestly part of it. So don't be hard on yourself. It's completely natural and normal for for you to be tired or for you to think like if i take a rest day today it's unplanned but I, I switch things around i'll still get my sessions in and then you'll get the just um the better results from it so yeah just try and try and be flexible and one good thing i'd say about having the cross training as part of your plan is if you do get injured it's not i've had that in the past where maybe i didn't do as much cross training i've got injured and all i want to do is run and you're thinking you know i got to teach myself to Like an elliptical or get on a bike, and you dread it. Whereas if you already do a little bit of that as part of your training, then it's just a case of increasing the volume for maybe a couple of days or a week. If you're not sure, if you've picked up a niggle, and and often it's erring on that side of caution and and maybe backing off for a bit and doing some cross training will actually do you better in the long
0: run. Some sound advice, then. I think, yeah, being flexible in regards to kind of how you manage things, being kind to yourself for sure. And I like the way that you said, you know, how you sort of structure some of the gym work with some of the sessions. And, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, you know, the conversation, but I do something similar because as runners, we want to do the running, but the other stuff isn't as fun. So I find that I have, to, I make sure I do the strengthening stuff almost directly after the sessions. Otherwise, it's easy to kind of be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it impacts it. Like the other brands You thing, it's going to impact an easy run. And you're like, I don't want it to be there. So it's just trying to juggle it, isn't it?
1: yeah and just like yeah as you say if if you just get it done put some good music on and it will it will be worth it because you're you're less likely to get injured um, and you'll get stronger for your sessions as well
0: cool so what counts as good music then so to work out
1: oh i listen to terrible music i'm all about kind of like throwback to like early 2000s so you probably don't want to take my music advice
0: <laughs> is that like garage sort of stuff we're going we're going that, that far back
1: yeah <laughs> it's all the stuff i listened to when i was at uni like if i hear songs on the radio now i'm like what is this i've never heard of this in life
0: yeah. i hear you, I, hear you. I was like going to do something recently i was going to put some in my stores. I thought people are going to this is going to age me very badly so I'm not going to post it so uh, <laughs> that one quiet
1: I would enjoy it probably
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll make a note and I'll, I'll show it the next time so um, <laughs> good stuff so thank you for sharing those sort of points and I kind of want to move on and talk to the audience and sort of share some of their questions as well so the first one is from Craig the runner and he asks how do you balance needing to get a session done um, when you're not feeling good and you're sort of training by feel?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely, as we were just talking about, that motivation element and and really listening to your body. But there's also kind of, are you not motivated and you're feeling a bit sluggish because you sat at a desk all day and you haven't really moved and it's dark outside, but you could just get on with it? Or are you feeling tired and, and heavy-legged and, and just knackered because you've been training really hard? And you haven't given yourself a break. So it's definitely you need to listen to your body and be real with yourself. Because if it is a case that you need our unplanned rest day, then take it, shuffle things around. But um, if it's a case of I just need a little bit of, of motivation, then I tend to, what I would do is break the session down and be like, right, I'm just going to get out the door, I'm just going to do the warm up and see how I feel. And then often the case, once you're out, you're like, well, I'll just do one rep. I've warmed up now anyway. And then it's just not even thinking about the end of the session. It's just thinking about each rep as it comes and, and ticking them off. And if the pace isn't there and, and you're putting in the effort and you're, you're not hitting your targets, then also don't be too hard on yourself because sometimes we just have off days and we sometimes we might look for reasons and there just isn't one there. But if you just bag the session and put in the effort, then it will still count for something.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that can really rob you of your joy when you sort of come back and you're overanalyzing it, and you have probably had this with your coach as well. They're just like, just forget, it. just move on.
1: Exactly. You have to just move on and forget it because we're not robots. We can't. We can't have the perfect session every time we run.
0: Yeah, and like every day is going to be different, isn't it? So like you're not going to have the same standard conditions on a every session you know, no. on a weekly basis. So I think it's a really good point. So next, Jerome asks, uh, do you have any good luck charms that you bring whilst you're racing?
1: I've always actually like worn some kind of little um, bracelet. So before Valencia, I had a wish bracelet with a little dog on it for my dog Elsie who passed away. And then this time round, while someone gave me the same bracelet, just a coincidence, that had a little runner on it so for me yeah it's something around my wrist that I quite like just that reminds me of home or something close to my heart but I don't typically have like the same item that I always take I just seem to form attachments to little things that that mean something to me but during the race yeah I just always think about all my friends and family who have supported me and my coach throughout this whole process and that I've listened to all the ups and downs of training so I, I'm always doing it for them.
0: Yeah, it's a good question because when I saw it, I thought it's going to have to be quite small because you can't carry something massive. <laughs> no, <your> racing. <laughs> like, why is she carrying this massive clover leaf behind her? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, so nothing. What? No, I don't want to add any extra weight. That's for
0: sure. <laughs> Definitely. Neil asked, uh, "My marathon always goes downhill on the last third. How can you train to combat that?" I
1: think the main thing is, and I, I I've. Was talking about earlier going from berlin my first marathon to where i am now is the volume of the sessions have definitely increased and it's yeah getting that volume in your legs but at a higher quality so i wouldn't i wouldn't focus on adding volume by doing lots of easy slow recovery pace runs if if that's the case i would kind of knock back on them and add some cross training And then i would increase the volume of your your sessions to get that quality in there and then again with the long run making sure you're getting enough of the long runs in and practice if you're doing say like a a 30k long run then you might decide to practice to do the last 5k at marathon pace to practice running on tired legs so it's yeah it's about testing yourself and getting that quality in but you don't want to be then that's obviously a higher risk of injury, so you maybe want to scale down other parts of your training to allow for that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I think there's so much to it, isn't there? I mean, like you said, with practicing, getting races, but obviously we've had less races up to this recent point as well. So there's so many yeah. factors involved in it, the physical and the mental side as well. Um, also,
1: your fueling—like, make sure you're fueling enough because if it's because you have run out of energy towards the later stages because you've not fueled early enough then that's, that's also a, a key thing. Like Speaking to some of my athletes who have been preparing for marathons recently and many of them are doing London, some of them will say, I'll take my first gel at like 14k. I'm like, no, take it at like seven if your tummy can handle it and if you've practised it in training.
0: That's a great point. And actually one point as well that I think might get missed as well, especially what you did in the last marathon in the Olympics as well as being adaptable to the weather. It's yep. so easy to be like, I'm going to run my pace that I run at home in England at this pace but then when it's humid and it's hot you need to
1: adapt. 100% it's so important because if you go out at that pace that you plan to go out at and it's way hotter than it was expected to be then you're going to overcook it so it's like having to adjust your expectations which is really really hard to do especially if this is like the one month, especially with Covid that you've been waiting for for so long but in order for you to have a more enjoyable experience it's definitely yeah you have to take the pacing quite seriously
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense i know we've covered quite a few uh, sound points in terms of rest and recovery are there any sort of final takeaways or tips that you want to share with audience before we kind of wrap this up
1: yeah just it's just enjoying it. Like if you don't enjoy it, then it's gonna make it a lot harder. And to enjoy it, you yeah, you maybe it's finding a group that you can run with sometimes, or maybe it's certain things in training that motivate you like going for a good food after. But try and put these things in place so that so that you're looking for there's something within each session that you're looking forward to. Because if you if you enjoy the process, then mentally I think you'll be happier and then the results are, are more likely to come. But, um, yeah, talking, as you just touched on there, Marcus, about kind of rest, thats it's also so important, like eight hours sleep a night when you're training for a marathon is, is, is really important.
0: Yeah, 100%, because, like, you're doing all the work, and then if you don't allow your body to recover, it's almost like you're doing yourself a disservice.
1: Yeah, definitely. You need time for your body to absorb that training, and that's why, as well, like, the easier days, you want them to be easy, and you want to have those rest days because... Then your body can absorb all that hard work you're doing.
0: Absolutely. So, I think another great tip is don't listen to any sort of upbeat music on your easy days. Let, leave the rocky music at home.
1: <laughs> yes, that's a good tip.
0: <laughs> good stuff. So, I think that's a great way to conclude the second Addi Zero and Talks episode. Steph, thank you for the conversation and indulging in my bad sense of humor. So, uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been great fun.
0: Awesome. So, there will be one further conversation. And the series, the details will be posted on the Adidas running page. So stay connected to find out a little bit more. Thanks to everyone and for joining and enjoy your week.
1: Yeah, and good luck to anyone who's got marathons this autumn. Thank you. Thank you.